0: chapter 3 of janet of the dunes this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by roger Moline. janet of the dunes by harriet t comstock chapter 3 janet was aroused the next morning by hearing captain david creaking across the floor of the living room with his daily burden in his arms the girl was neither deep asleep nor wide awake She was never uncertain of her whereabouts or identity once she had crossed the borderland. The early sun was creeping into the east window of her tiny room on one side of the living room of the lighthouse. On the opposite side was Captain David's sleeping apartment, into which he carried his helpless wife every evening before he had to go up aloft, and out of which he bore her to the chintz-covered rocker every morning after he had come below. For ten long years David had known this sorrow, and he knew that it was to be his until death spake the final word. "'It seems to me, David,' the querulous voice was saying, "'that the sun up your way rose mighty late to-day.' "'There, there, Susan Jane, tis the same old sun as rises and sets for all. Had a bad night, Susan Jane?' "'Bad night?' "'That shows what sympathy you have for me, David. "'All my nights are bad. "'Bad as bad can be, unless they be worse.' "'Well, Susan Jane, let's hope that a bad night augurs a good day. "'There, are you fixed? Reasonably comfortable? "'Perhaps the pillars ought to be a mite higher. "'How's that? "'And now, if you want to read a bit, I'll fix the breakfast. "'I got some biscuits overnight.' GIVE ME THE BIBLE, DAVID, AND MY MONEY BOX. THERE, OPEN TO THE SAME OLD CHAPTER. THANK THE LORD, THAT CHAPTER IS ALL ON ONE PAGE. SINCE HE THOUGHT IT WISE TO TAKE THE USEFULNESS FROM MY MEMBERS, I'M GLAD HE MADE FOLKS PRINT MY FAVOURITE CHAPTER SO THERE'S NO NEED OF turnin' OVER. LAND KNOWS WHO'D EVER THINK OF waitin' ON ME. COME NOW, SUSAN JANE, I'M ALWAYS willin' WHEN I AIN'T ON GOVERNMENT DUTY. "'Government duty or sleep, man is all alike. "'How would you feel if you was stricken like me?' "'Powerful bad, Susan Jane, powerful bad. "'You bear your lot uncommon patient, Susan Jane. "'I'm never overlooking that. "'But if you put your mind to it, wife, "'you'll see that if I do my duty I must sleep some. "'Howsoever, Mark Tapkins will have his turn tonight, "'same as usual.' "'and I can set with you this evening. "'The government is powerful, generous, Susan Jane, "'to give this every other night shift. "'Generous, huh! "'There, David, do get the meal. "'I guess if you had laid awake all night "'you'd have considerable craving in your stomach for vittles. "'I've a real sinking.' "'Sho, I must get a double wriggle on, Susan Jane.' "'David stumbled over a stool on his way to the stove.' He was dizzy from sleepiness, and he, too, had a sensation of sinking. "'Sho, I be gettin' monstrous awkward,' he muttered apologetically. "'I hope I ain't waked Janet.' "'Suppose you had,' snapped his wife. "'You think that more important than my nerves? "'I don't more'n half like Janet comin' here. "'If it hadn't been for me, I know you'd taken her for nothin.' No matter if I do have to go to the poorhouse on account of your shiftlessness. Aye, stricken and helpless. She can come here for nothing. I just know, David, that it would be a real release for a great strong man like you to be rid of a poor stricken wife. But I guess you'll have to bide the Lord's will, whether you want to or not. At this point David spilled a kettle of water he was bearing from the pump outside the door, to the range. "'By gum, Susan Jane,' he said cheerfully, "'I guess no one but you could put up with a blundering old feller like me. You better reconsider and stay to see the game out. Two eggs this morning, wife, or one?' Two, David. You didn't think to scrimp me, did you? If one egg has got to be given, you'd better begin on yourself, or Janet.' COME, COME, SUSAN JANE, THERE'S TWO APIECE, AND SIX FOR COMPANY. COMPANY? DAVID, HAVE YOU HAD THE HEARTLESSNESS TO INVITE COMPANY HERE WITHOUT ASKING ME? LORD, SUSAN JANE, CAN'T YOU TAKE A JOKE? I ONLY MEANT EGG'S is PLENTY. THE draught's GOOD THIS MORNING. THAT'S A SIGN OF CLEAR WEATHER. THE BISCUITS IS RIZ FIT TO KILL, SUSAN. I NEVER HAD BETTER LUCK. That comes A havin a handy wife to train ye. I'm glad ye can see some good in me, David. Susan Jane was sniffling. I think Janet is downright lazy and triflin', lying in bed when a struck woman like me can have ambition enough to be up and doin'. Me or one in a hundred, Susan Jane, but then it ain't more'n fair to state that Janet's a boarder, according to your own placin'. "'Oh, that's right. Blame me for miserliness, and excuse her for slackness. "'She's perfect. I'm the sinner.' "'Now, Susan Jane.' "'Oh, I can see through a person if he ain't too dazzlin.' Susan Jane drank from the cup of coffee that David held to her lips. "'I suppose you'd like to take a tray into her, David?' "'Now, Susan Jane, don't be so amusin'. "'It's wonderful how you keep your spirits.' "'Spirits! David, I suppose you're speakin' sarcastic. You think my mind ain't right. You're treatin' me like a child.' The woman turned from the cup, weeping audibly. Janet at this point noiselessly arose and made a hurried toilet. Sickness physical weakness of any kind was repulsive to the girl of perfect health and outdoor nature, but one thing she realized. While she stayed at the lighthouse, she must share David's burden. Her sense of loyalty to David made this imperative. She must help him how and when she could, and she must be as silent as he in regard to it. "'Good morning!' she cried presently, going into the living room. "'Here, Captain David, take your place at the table. I'll do the rest. You won't mind, Susan Jane, will you, if I boss a little? I'm so used to bossing my Captain Billy. "'Tain't decent for a great girl like you, Janet, to call Billy in that fashion. Father seems good enough for the other girls around here.' "'I like my way better,' Janet smiled over the plate of biscuits she was bearing from the range i'm saucy and bossy susan jane but i've good points too here i'll spread your biscuits and fix your eggs david you finish your breakfast and go to bed i'll feed susan and tidy up david cast a grateful look at her and susan jane turned to her breakfast with an appetite that was one of the few pleasures left to her stricken existence all that morning to the accompaniment of susan jane's complaints praise of herself and disapproval of janet's appearance and manners the girl did the housework prepared the midday meal and thought her busy thoughts at twelve o'clock david issued forth from the bedroom he was heavy-eyed from sleep and disheveled as to looks by gum he exclaimed going out to janet on the porch i suppose you wanted to go up to the hills this morning and peddle your good looks I clean forgot your ambitions. I was that sodden with weariness. No, Davy, it's all right. I want to get my breath first. I'm going to Bluff Head this afternoon. I may not have many more chances. I hear Bluff Head is going to be open too. Yes, Mr. Devont sent word down to Eliza Jane Smith to have the place ready, biding the time he might come. But seems like I heard that Eliza Jane ain't goin' today. She's takin' washin' in for the boarders and making money out of it. Eliza Jane'll get top lofty if she finds she ain't naturally dependent on James B. It don't do for some women to know their worth. Janet laughed. It helps others, she answered lightly when the dinner dishes were disposed of janet took her sunbonnet and started off for bluff head the day was hot and the road dusty the sunbonnet as a feminine requisite of old quinton was desirable but janet swung hers from her arm thereby satisfying mrs grundy's demands and not interfering with her own rights at one o'clock in the quinton of the day the city boarders were eating en masse and the Quintonites, in various capacities, were serving them. So the girl on the highway had the place to herself. The lighthouse rose red and gleaming from Captain David's garden spot. The bay, blue and rippling, spread in and out of its tiny sub-bays where the land stretched like five fingers of a hand, with the blue water in between. To the west lay the hills in their artistic desolation, and to the north of them, the Bluff, with Mr. Devant's long-closed house gracing the summit. It mattered little to Janet whether Eliza Jane Smith was in command of Bluffhead or not. The past would never have been as sweet as Janet knew it, had she depended upon Eliza Jane's movements to govern her ingress and egress to the place. Going rapidly along, the girl presently came to the grounds of the big house. Years ago, attempts at landscape gardening had been indulged in, while the master of the place fancied to pass his summers there, but years of recent neglect had all but obliterated the marks of culture. Wildness was all over, but it was the wildness of former refinement. Past the sundial ran the girl, and around to the rear of the house. Then she burrowed under a dense rosebush and pushed her way through a basement window, almost hidden by the undergrowth the sash of which swung inward at the familiar pressure it was but a moment's work to scramble through and then run up the dark disused stairway the place had a moldy smell but it was neat and orderly and the weekly airings given by eliza jane saved it from dampness the silence and absence of human nearness might well have daunted one But Janet, the only living thing, apparently, in the deserted house, felt no qualms. She went directly to the library. There was little else of interest in the place to her. For years, this spot had been her secret treasure nook. When, as a little child, she had entered the place with Eliza Jane, it was not as other children, but with an inborn yearning to see and touch those wonderful rows of books. She was permitted to dust those she could reach, and her touch was reverent and gentle. The pictures had at first fascinated her. Later the district school teaching had given her power to understand the words. Then had dawned the new heaven and the new earth. Like a miser with his gold, she guarded her joy. She discovered the unfastened window and timed her visits when she was sure of privacy and so she had trod, undirected, and, like the wild creature she was, the paths of literature. The devant library, gathered through generations, was stored in the country house that had originally been built as a family home. But the sons of the race were rovers, and often years would slip by without a personal inspection. James B. and Eliza Jane were the guardians, and there was little need of a master's anxiety while those two were in command janet glanced about the library and her face grew radiant she inhaled long breaths the odor of the leather and old paper thrilled her she mounted the little steps and took a book with unerring touch from the fifth shelf when she sprang lightly to the floor and went with her prize to the shelter of a deep bay window Softly she raised the sash and drew in the sweetness of the June day. "'It's good!' she murmured. "'Heavenly good!' Then she nestled among the cushions on the window seat, and, shielded by the heavy curtains from the emptiness of the room, she entered her paradise. The key that opened the gateway was a rare edition of Shakespeare, the play Romeo and Juliet, a tiny scrap of paper marked the place of the last reading. The girl's eyes, blue now as the summer sky, fell upon the words of delight, and instantly Quentin was forgotten, Quentin, and all its familiar worries and small pleasures. Janet of the Dunes was Juliet of Italy. A crunching of gravel upon the driveway startled the girl cruelly. "'I believe I have a key, Saxton,' said a deep, firm voice. "'Yes, here it is. I can let myself in. "'Drive back to the station and wait for the baggage train. "'See that everything is carefully loaded on the wagon from the livery. "'You can get me a bite when you return. "'Stop at the corners and bring back enough food for tonight. "'Tomorrow we'll set up housekeeping. "'I'll make myself comfortable.' "'And—oh, Saxton!' "'Yes, sir?' "'Stop at the post office and ask for mail.' Janet's blood rose hotly. "'Caught!' she whispered. Then she smiled feebly. She could not see the speaker. He was at the front of the house. She heard the wheels outside turn and go rapidly away. A grating of the lock on the long, unopened front door sounded next. Then a rapid stride brought the stranger to the library. "'Rather a quiet welcome home,' the man, believing himself alone, spoke aloud and laughed unconcernedly. "'There's always a feeling of companionship in books. Everything looks in good condition,' he gave a comprehensive glance around the room. "'This was no stranger but the master of Bluff Head.' When Janet was six she had last seen this man, and he had changed less since then than had she. From her shelter she eyed him as he flung traveling coat, hat, and dress-suit case upon a divan, and himself in a deep leather chair. He was tall, handsome, and elegant. The iron-gray head pressing the chair back was one to draw the second glance from a stranger as a matter of course. The clear, blue-gray eyes took in the walls lined with books. The white hands, clasped in front of the broad chest, showed nerve force and strength. Janet, trapped and desperate, first contemplated a leap from the open window, but that method of exit was discarded upon second thought. It would definitely end all further expectation of reaching the world of books. While there was hope in other directions, she must choose more sanely. She ventured a cough. So slight a sound in that silence might well have shaken the strongest nerves. The man in the chair, however, did not move, but his eyes fell instantly upon the alcove. The parted curtains, now that the girl raised herself forward, gave a full view of the slight form and vivid face, The calm eyes from the chair wavered an instant and the nostrils twitched. Then the man laughed carelessly. "'Won't you come out and be friendly?' he said. "'Thank you,' Janet came forth, book in hand, with eyes full of amusement. There was an awkward pause while the man gazed steadily at her. Then Janet spoke. "'I—I suppose you've come now to stay?' It sounded brusque and unmannerly, but it was the only remark that occurred to her. "'I had thought of making rather a stay.' The eyes rested upon the bright face. "'However, possession is nine-tenths of the law. If you say the word, I'll skedaddle.' "'Oh,' panted Janet, "'I pray you pardon me.' The sentence sounded Shakespearean in the gathering confusion. "'I only thought, do you not see? "'I suppose you are Mr. Devant, and I know you would end... end... "'What, pray? "'I'm not uncompromisingly final. "'I've been known to let things run on. "'Why, you see, I've been in the habit for years "'of crawling in your cellar window, "'coming up here and reading your books. "'I began it when I was a very little girl.' "'It comes to be a kind of habit.' "'The man laughed with keen relish. "'You quite flatter me, Miss—Miss,' he paused. "'Oh, Janet! Janet of the Dunes, you know, Captain Billy's Janet. "'You may not remember me, but I saw you once, years and years ago. "'I was at the light, David's light. "'You came visiting there.' "'I called you Mr. Government.' "'Miss Janet, do take a seat. "'Permit me,' he arose and with courtly grace placed a chair for his companion. "'I recall you perfectly. "'The mistake you made in my name came to be a joke and byword after I went home. "'You saw me snooping around the light and thought I was the Government, inspecting Captain David's domain.' "'It all comes to me quite clearly. "'I remember you put your back against a certain closet "'and intimated in no doubtful language "'that it was private property. "'You were a bewitching small child, Miss Janet, "'if you will pardon an old man's freedom of speech. "'I am delighted to renew our acquaintance.' "'Janet flushed. "'I presume, counting upon your memory "'of my inspection of the lighthouse,' You felt free to inspect my house? Are the books to your taste, Miss Janet? They have been my greatest joy in all these years. A serious tone and a sudden moisture of the blue eyes touched the man. He spoke in a sincerer manner, looking more sharply at the glowing face. You are a book lover by nature, I see. Yes. I never see a book, but I feel as I do when I stand by the sea on a foggy morning. I can see nothing, but I know that everything lies hidden in the fog. I wonder what kind of a day lies there, and what the day bears. So it is with a book. I open the covers, and the fog slowly melts away. "'Yes,' a smell of the sea stole into the room window, and the man took a long breath. "'You have read wisely, I hope,' he said. "'I began with the pictures. "'Then I spelled out the words in the books on the bottom shelf. "'I've worked my way up. "'I'm on the fifth shelf by the door now. "'I do not seem to be able to get any further than this.' "'She passed the book to him. "'I've been at this book three whole months. "'I sort of hoped—please forgive me— "'but I sort of hoped I might get to the sixth shelf before you came back.' "'Shakespeare,' mused the master of Bluffhead. "'And he's held you three months, Miss Janet, "'after you've waded through Heaven Only Knows What?' "'Yes, he makes me forget everything. "'I cannot explain, only he sings to me, and he talks to me, "'and he makes me a hundred people all in one.' miss janet heaven forbid that a mere master of bluff head should close the gates to this genius's eden to such a lover as you allow me he handed out the key that had given him entrance to his home permit me to give you royal freedom to what surely is more yours than mine a cellar window has been honored enough the doorway is not wide enough for so true a worshipper I do not understand you. I feel you are laughing at me. Heaven save us! No, my child, I mean simply this. Come at your own sweet will, and read to your heart's content. If you will graciously permit me, I most gladly will wander with you through these. He waved his hand toward the shelves. I may be able to point out some new pleasure paths. I am certain you can make me love old ones better. If I am absent from Bluff Head, I will leave orders that you are to be undisturbed while you honor this room. I trust my old friend of the light, is well?" Yes, but, oh, how can I thank you? By returning, my dear child. There I hear Saxton. How the time has flown! He arose, and Janet slipped to her feet and passed from the room. Devant called after her. "'Good-bye for the present, Janet of the Dunes!' For a moment the girl paused. "'Good-bye, Mr. Government,' she replied, and was gone, leaving a trailing ripple of laughter as a memory of the strange meeting. End of chapter 3 Recording by Roger Milleen.